Dr. Amanda Perrier is the president of an Ottawa-area organization called Media Action. It was created to respond to the sexism and bias that many believed were misrepresenting women in various forms of media, including advertisements. The organization now runs workshops through their program, Informed Opinions. So we decided through this program that we would provide training for women to learn how to write op-eds so that their voices would be better reflected in the media uh, across Canada, at least in this in this way. And we have a goal, which is to shift the bias so that women and men will be equally represented in, in op-eds. Um, because when women write op-eds, they use different language. They cover topics differently. Media Action also runs a program called Ask Women Anything, where female experts on a variety of topics are invited to speak. Topics range from Indigenous issues to the Me Too movement. Amanda is optimistic about the future, saying the girls growing up now are fearless, inspiring, and are taking the world by storm. The thought-provoking Dr. Amanda Perrier on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. where we're chatting with Dr. Amanda Perrieg. Um, Amanda, for our podcast, Run It Like a Girl. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So you are president of an organization called Media Action. I would love, can you just give us a little bit of background on that, how it got started, what it is, and, and what you're doing? Sure. Uh, Media Action was created in the 90s um, in response to what a group of women saw as being really sexist, biased in the media, uh, particularly among ads and um, other uh, forums where women could really be disrepresented. And so they, it was originally started with government funding, which is interesting. And I think the government of the day basically said, take this money and go away. And uh, these women did not go away. What they did was they used the money to, it was the 90s, so they had letter writing campaigns to point out what they saw as egregious biases in the media. And they testified at Senate subcommittees and, and different hearings um, as to the effects of these types of biases in the media on the broader population and on women and girls and young boys. This grew in the 2000s to, uh, to become more of an action-oriented organization. And so we changed the name from Media Watch, which is where we had started to Media Action at that point. And what we've been doing in the last, uh, say, five to seven years is super, super exciting. And this is where I, I've been president as well. We've had one program, our flagship program, called Informed Opinions. And this program came about because we realized that when we looked at the op-eds in, in the newspapers across Canada, less than 30% of these op-eds were written by women. And what we were, what we were thinking at the time was, um, well, this means that men are shaping uh, the social fabric of Canada because of what they put in the in the op-ed. So their language, their focus, their words are being used to, to shape the op-eds in Canada. And when we spoke to women across Canada, which is where we started with this project, women gave us many, many reasons for why they were not uh, writing these op-eds. And the reasons ranged from all the, the typical reasons that you would imagine. So... I don't have time. I, I have responsibilities at home. I'm the primary uh, caregiver in my house, so on and so forth. 
One of the reasons that they gave us, though, we thought, okay, that's where we can make a difference. And that's where they said, I don't know how. Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, we can teach you. Because we have Sherry Graydon, who um, is an award-winning former journalist, uh, you know, many, many times celebrated woman who can uh, provide this training. So we decided through this program that we would provide training for women to learn how to write op-eds so that their voices would be better reflected in the media uh, across Canada, at least in this, in this way. And we have a goal, which is to shift the bias so that women and men will be equally represented in, in op-eds. Um, because when women write op-eds, they use different language. They cover topics differently and it, they don't just cover the traditional topics that you would think like childcare and sexual assault. They cover all the topics because women are actually represented in, in all walks of life. And so we have been doing this for about seven years and uh, more and more organizations are saying, yes, we need to pay to have media action and informed opinions deliver these workshops so that women can be more represented um, in their voices in, in the media across Canada. So that's one of our programs, the Informed Opinions Program, and it is our flagship program. We also have a grassroots arm to that program that I'm super, super proud of because I get to lead that program myself directly. And that's called Ask Women Anything. So we have the, the broad program that is paid for and that really drives, you know, that's the engine for media action. But then we have the Ask Women Anything program. And this program uh, started through conversations that I had with volunteers about three and a half years ago where I said, what should we be doing at a grassroots level? And we all kind of degenerated in our brainstorming to talk about, well, I know this amazing woman, and wouldn't it be great if if this amazing woman could be um, on, on a platform where the Ottawa community could he- not only hear from her, but interact with her. And we realized that between us, we had about 30 amazing women, and we thought, why don't we just start providing these women a forum where they can talk about the thing that makes them an expert and have Ottawa come and talk with them in a really accessible platform, in a warm and inviting atmosphere. And that's how Ask Women Anything was born. And we also decided to provide these women without a media filter. So we don't allow recording of of what they say. We, We do do live tweeting and we ask them if there are any topics where we can't live tweet. Um, but other than that, we take pictures. These women come to uh, a local cafe, Bar Robo. They've been a partner with us for the last two years. They're amazing. And they speak about what they're an expert on. Um, so it ranges from uh, Indigenous issues to women in STEM to uh, sexual harassment to the Me Too movement to on and on and on because women are really experts in all walks of life. And this program has grown now to where women are coming to us and asking if they can be on our panels, and each event is sold out. And, and how, um, how do people get involved with, with Media Action for any of your programs? So we are always looking for volunteers, and we always have call-outs on uh, social media and on Volunteer Ottawa. And we generally have word of mouth as one of the best drivers, um, informed opinions. People know Sherry. Sherry is such a large presence, not in Ottawa, not only in Ottawa, but across the country. And they'll they'll come up to us often in social media or in person and say, "How can I help?" It's amazing how many people are willing to help and want to yes. help. Yes, and I find at this time in 
um, in the world, in Canada, more than any other time, people get it, right? They get that teaching women to write op-eds can really change the social fabric of Canada. And having these community conversations through Ask Women Anything does make a difference. And in fact, we don't just imagine that this is having an impact, we measure the impact. So at every Ask Women Anything event, we'll do a survey at the end and say, how did you hear about us? What did you think about it? Um, has this changed your mind on any of the issues that we've discussed here tonight? And we find that we're definitely seeing positive change. And for informed opinions, we do the same thing. And and not only is it changing uh, the women who are coming to learn how to write op-eds, but we have a, a sub-project, which is the Expert Women Database, where we provide uh, women an opportunity to sign up and say, I'm an expert and this is how I'm an expert so that journalists don't just get men to comment on every particular story that comes out, but uh, but they'll find women. Journalists will, will often say, well, I couldn't find a woman to comment. And this is because, uh, first of all, they're not necessarily looking for women, but secondly, when they go to look for women to comment, women will often think, well, I only know 99% of the issue, so maybe I'm not the best person. Bob down the road might be a better person, Bob only knows 69% and Bob raises his hand and goes, yep, yep, I can comment. I'm in. I'm in, exactly. And uh, and so we're, we're setting up this database so that journalists will go to it and say, oh, actually, there are 17 women here who I can approach. So even if women don't want to step up, there are so many in there. This is our, our hope and our plan for the future that they will find someone. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that, the, the 99%, yeah. because I think that is across all, it seems to be across all areas for women, right? Whether yeah. it's a job they want to apply for, or a sports team they want to, you know, yeah. try out for, maybe things are holding them back. In your opinion, how do you think we, we uh, you know, raise, raise girls, but also women to yeah. kind of grab hold of their confidence, get confidence and be able to just go for things and do things? It starts at the beginning. You know, uh, in my generation now, we have been raised to be collaborative and sit back and make sure that everyone has an opportunity. And so we have a lot of unlearning to do. But I think what we need to be focusing on now is those younger generations and treating them equally, boys and girls. I mean, research is showing that in the classroom, teachers will point to the girls when it comes to those fluffy uh, subjects or less often in math and science to to uh, to say, you know, go ahead and give me an answer. And the boys are the ones who are highlighted in those areas. And, um, you know, they'll assume that boys are rough and tumble and they'll, they'll assume that girls are quiet and collaborative. And so teachers need to start teaching them differently and treating them differently. And we need to treat our own uh, girls and boys differently at home and push them into situations where girls have to step up and um, and are forced to be not collaborative, but confident and to claim that space. So I was thinking about this when, when I knew we were going to be doing this podcast. And I thought, you know, am I actually walking the talk? And I thought, yeah, I have a daughter right now. She's 11 years old. She's quite quiet. She's quite shy. We have sent her off to sleepaway camp by herself. And she was saying before she left, well, you know, I, I won't have any friends there and I'm pretty sure I won't have a good time. And we're saying, no, no, you will be fine. And she will be fine. And at the end of the week, she will realize um, that she can do this and that builds confidence. And that's what we need to do with our young girls. We need to give them the situations where they can build that confidence and expect nothing less from them than we expect from boys and they will step up. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree, you know, um, if you're comfortable, maybe it's trying, time to try a different room, 
or, yeah. or do something different. Um, I, so one of our other guests said something that I, I really like. She was raising a daughter as well, who's now uh, actually her partner in the right. business that they have. And she said every time that she wanted to wrap her up, she would say, better a broken arm than broken confidence. Yes. And I just, I really liked that. And I think it's so true. Because yeah. you do want to just shelter. But that's not doing anyone any favors. And it's not raising the kind of women that we need in society. Absolutely. And, and I identify with that so much. My daughter this year uh, decided she wanted to write to school on her own. And so we said, yes, yes, of course you can. And when she wrote off to school, I had to actually force myself not to call the school, not to drive behind her, not to check to make sure her bike was there, but to just have confidence that she did it and she was fine. And, um, and I think they feel that, right? They feel that you're, you're actually letting them go and you're actually kind of pushing them and hoping for the best, they get that. Yes. And they respond to it, like, magnificently. I think they thrive on it. I know when we go camping, um, nothing uh, gets my boys more excited than getting their little boundaries for their bike rides. Yeah. And being able to take off and Absolutely. we're, you know, behind them. So I think that's, yeah. I yeah. imagine that was a, a tricky moment, though, that first day as you saw her ride off. <laughs> I had to turn around <laughs> and just assume that she was good. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, and she was. Of course okay. she was. Um, you, you had mentioned one of the, you know, one of the panels you'd brought up me too, the me too movement. Uh, I'd love your opinion on how, do you think that is changing, uh, the social fabric of, of Canada and, and States? Do you think that it's going to have lasting impact? What do you, what do you think about it? I was really encouraged when me too started erupting. I mean, we know that this actually started 10 years ago, but there was no traction then. So many powerful women have come forward and said that this is their experience I think that's emboldened women writ large to come forward and also say that this is their experience. When this movement started erupting, I had conversations with friends and we realized that there was no one we could identify who had not had some kind of an experience that fit within that bracket. So yes, that movement is here to stay. That movement is going to have lasting impact in the grassroots. It's having a trickle-up impact, in my view, in the media, in that the media now knows it's there. They can't push it aside. They can't um, confidently use misogynistic language to describe situations without knowing that they're going to get blowback. Because now we all know what we know. We're at this place on the other side of the Me Too movement erupting, and we can't ever go back. It doesn't mean they still don't go down those pathways and describe you know, sexual assault victims as being compliant and use language that's misogynistic and focus on Serena Williams as a mum rather than the greatest tennis player of all time. Um, they're still going to go in those places, but now they know they'll be held to account. Um, so I think it is going to have a lasting impact in the media. I think that it needs to permeate all the sectors of society in order for it to have a lasting impact uh, for everyone. Mm -hmm. So there still are going to be old school white men who will push back and say, well, that's just, you know, those Nazi feminist women <laughs> who are annoyed and who are, are bringing up this nonsense and disturbing the way things have been for us. Um, so we need to definitely do some unlearning there. So there is progress. But in many sectors, it's still slow. We, we actually had an Ask Women Anything event. We've had many that focused on the Me Too movement explicitly or where it came up. And it's still come up over and over that in different sectors for women, there still is a lot of 
harassment taking place and there isn't any way to get beyond it because the sector is small and women don't feel powerful enough to to overturn the status quo. So it'll it'll still take a while, I think, before the impact is felt the way it should be. But I'm so proud of the work that has been done in this area. And I'm so amazed that I get to live at a time when this is happening. Yes, it is exciting, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, and it's, it is changing. And you can yeah. see it. You can see it in policies that are coming out and, in, yeah. and change even corporations are trying to make, right, to ensure yeah. that, uh, that uh, it, they have things in place to help prevent this. Even if they don't believe it, yeah. they have to yes. pretend to walk the talk. Which is great. Absolutely. Maybe one day they will, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or as new leaders come up, leaders that it's kind of built right into their... I think that's what's going to happen. I think for other generations who are coming up, and Me Too is just a part of of what they know, it'll just be, what? You want to be misogynistic about this? No, you can't. Like, you know, it'll just be unheard of. So I wonder, do you think that mentorship will play a role in that? Absolutely. And what does mentorship mean to you? Uh, Mentorship has been huge in my life. I've had mentors at different points throughout my life that have encouraged me to take risks above all. Um, And I think that's, I didn't need to be confident. I didn't need to know that I was smart. I didn't know, I need to know what my gifts were. I need to I needed to know how to place them and how to create my path. And mentors have always said to me, "Well, why don't you take a risk? What's the downside of taking this risk?" And um and and so that's been huge. And I I think that all women have a responsibility to be mentors to other women and boys. And um and I just love the impact that you can have um as a mentor and I I see the change that can be made when you simply just impart a little bit of your wisdom to someone who wants to hear it. It's huge. So I make a point of mentoring uh, young women. Young women don't actually need my mentorship in my view, but if they come to me and ask for it, for sure, I'll, I'll help guide you. I'll, I'll help open your eyes to other pathways that I see. Many times I'm learning from the women I mentor as much as they're learning from me. It's a, it's a great experience. Yes, I, I agree, and I, I I also find sometimes for me and the mentors that I've had, it's it's just a different perspective, yeah. right? It might be something I already knew, but until I actually had a conversation with someone about it, it wasn't something that I knew how to change or I knew how to do differently. So I yeah. agree. I think mentorship is so huge. Um, and then you know we have one final question for you that I, I'd love to know. Um, if if you could go back to to nineteen, is there anything you'd do differently? Is there any advice you'd give? Um. I'll just say this, girls who are coming up behind me are fearless. They are inspiring and they've got this. I look at how young girls are grabbing the world and I feel so confident and comforted. They don't really need anything from me because they are so self-assured and they know their place. The one thing I would say to myself, though, is don't be afraid to grab your space. And if there isn't a space, create one. Don't wait for someone to offer you one. Um, that's what I would say. That's what I would say. Because I think for myself, I was a bit tentative in, in figuring out where my space was. So I needed to, I needed to figure out that I could, I could just make one for myself. But for, for girls writ large, 
they've got this. I see them on social media and they reduce me to tears by how confident they are and how um, how much they see that this world is theirs. Yes. Yes. I, I would agree with that. And I think yes. that's, that's great advice for, yeah. for, for anyone, but you're right that there's some, there's been a change in, in how women and young, young girls coming up act. And I think yeah. it's amazing. But Amanda, I want to thank you so much for welcoming us into your home for this episode <laughs> and for sharing your, uh, your experience with us and your expertise. Just thank you so much for taking part. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk. On the next episode of Run It Like a Girl, as a leading Canadian arts executive, Colleen Smith has held senior roles in some of the country's most cherished arts institutions. She's passionate about getting youth involved in the arts and thinks the business could use more women and people of color in executive roles. Arts executive and advocate Colleen Smith on the next episode of Run It Like a Girl.